Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we'll be taking a look at Disney's new Black Widow, the exciting new Marvel movie. First one in theaters in two years, Andy. Uh, the longest we've gone without a gap in Marvel films since then was uh, Hulk and Iron Man had two years between them. Other than that, we've had a Marvel movie at all, every like three months. So this is a big one. First new superhero Marvel movie back in theaters. We went and saw it. We're going to tell you whether or not it's worth your time. Also, we took a look at Nobody, uh, that Bob Odenkirk action thriller by some of the people who made John Wick. Uh, it's available on premium video on demand for like six bucks. Uh, we watched it and we're going to let you know if it's worth the money. We're going to talk about uh, Black Widow's box office numbers. I don't know if you all remember, but coming up on this show, uh, there was some speculation. Uh, I, I might have been the one who announced this on the show that Black Widow was rumored to do better than Fast 9 at the box office. And I said, no way. No way Black Widow does better than the Fast and Furious movies. And I might have been surprised. So we're going to talk about that in the middle of the show. Before we get to all of that, we need to cover the news. First things first. James Franco, oh man, coming in hot this week uh, with with a headline that's actually not funny, and I probably shouldn't make a joke of it. Andy, what's this about? <laughs> um, yes, so uh, the title is James Franco to pay two point two million uh, to settle sexual misconduct suit. We generally don't talk about uh, these kinds of lawsuits or kind of Hollywood gossip, but I, I figured that this was. I felt that this was a an important thing to bring up and talk about. Um, so what James Franco and company were doing is they set up this quote unquote, like film school, uh, for people that people could basically come and take like, you know, one-on-one private lessons or group lessons. That kind, uh, it was makeshift acting school. Uh, people had to pay a hefty amount to do this. And, um, but they were just kind of a cover for them to get young women to, to come to these classes, uh, so they could date them. And also get money out of them. And part of what they, you know, a lot of the things they would they would do things like, okay, today we're going to learn how to shoot a sex scene, you know, and then like everyone's got to get naked. We got or we got to we got to practice our orgy scene. Like they would do a lot of these things that were like purposely very like require people to like get naked or half naked or or whatever. Um, and so that's what these. Uh, settlement is is for uh they have to pay directly to a number of people and there are also i think about a million of it goes to uh uh i think a non-profit uh as well so it's um you know it was just kind of another example of you know powerful people setting up this uh you know the school uh to get to get people to, to go to, to to shell out a bunch of money and also give them a supply of impressionable young women so they have, uh, like I said, they're having to pay out a lot of money and they're also not allowed to continue this school or whatever uh, thing it was. This is not, I'm not going to say this hits close to home because it doesn't, but but like a few a few, a few few hundred yards away from home. Back when I was in school, uh, I, I went to school for, for radio, television, film, so a little bit of movie stuff. Um, and there were definitely students that talked about this. Like, hey, Franco is supposedly working on like some kind of acting school or something. Yeah, and they're going to have like an LA location. Um, and a lot of us like were super intrigued by the idea. It's just like Matthew McConaughey teaching at University of North Texas for a semester. Like we were like, oh, that's so cool. Like he's going to have industry people in. Um, I guess I say that to to kind of illustrate like how valuable I think the students of these classes probably saw this service, um, how excited they were to be a part of it, um, you know, regardless of price, which I'm sure wasn't cheap. Um, and how much of a shame it is that this is the way they were treated. Uh, obviously, there, there's a lot of around this case that we don't know. There's a lot of unknowns, a lot of things that are being kept uh, under wraps for people's privacy and safety. And that's for the best. Um, but I hope uh, the, the, the three, it looks like three specific women uh, and then this nonprofit who are all being uh, uh, paid out for, you know, these, these crimes. Um, I, I hope they can... I don't know, but find something a bit more rewarding out of that. You know, it's 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 really a shame. And um, I'm really frustrated by this story. So uh, I'm glad we're taking an aside to talk about this because, Andy, you're right. This is not something we usually cover on this show. Uh, and I, sh- I should not I should not have opened with like laughing and juggling about it. Excuse me. That well, and this this also kind of points to a, a lot larger issue that I've seen and, and witnessed uh, experienced myself as, uh, you know, as I was a musician for a long time. Um, working and, and I was in a similar position of like wanting to get close to big name people, work with with them, that sort of thing, help break into the industry. Um, and people really exploit that that you know that dream and that hope that, that a lot of young people have to be an actor or an artist or whatever. 
Um, and people will absolutely exploit that for financial or other types of gains. And that's definitely what's happening here. Cause that was part of what was promised is like, it's an acting school, but we're also going to put you in touch with, you know, industry insiders. We're going to get you auditions, you know, all that kind of stuff. And none of that happened. Yeah. Like I, when I was in school, like a, a really big part of, of what they taught us was, you know, your skills are important, but who you know is huge in the networking. And like all of my professors told me, they were like, we basically can't help you with that. And that's the one thing that like you probably need the most help in. Um, this this school would have solved both of those problems, right? Like the enticing ideal of being attached to this is tremendous. Um, frustrating, I think, in a word is, is how I feel about this. I'm frustrated by it. Uh, with that, we should move on to our next story. Uh, Black Widow is killing it at the box office this week. Like I said at the top, I, uh, I, I might, I might have been a bit of a naysayer here. I thought the house of mouse couldn't do it. And, uh, they showed me up once again, Black Widow spun, uh, $80 million this weekend, just in the U S alone, which is tremendous for pandemic earnings. And, uh, they also made a little money on Disney plus. Which was a surprise, I think. <laughs> yes, uh, that, that's the big story we're going to be talking about more in our middle segment. But yes, $80 million, uh, to open the weekend, um, which was about $10 million more than F9 and $20, $30 million more than A Quiet Place 2. And also those had those were theatrical exclusives so that there wasn't anywhere else to watch them. So it's really impressive that Black Widow made that amount of money in theaters while also being available um, at home because that does cannibalize the theatrical pull a little bit. Um, but also the, the streaming money is actually better for, for Disney because they get to keep all of it, or at least they, they don't have to share near as much as what they do with uh, theaters. But it's, uh, I, I was surprised as well because I, I felt like, you know, F9 probably, or Fast and Furious just translates better overseas. So I figured they would just kind of do better overall. So I, I was really surprised as well. And like Black Widow, even though she's a main member of the Avengers, she's still kind of, a B-list character, I hate to say. It. Um, so you know, I I wasn't expecting uh, a lot of people yeah. to cut to come out uh, to see it. So, um, but great start for for Marvel. I mean, like you said, over two years without a Marvel film, and for Disney, and and again, we're starting to feel like we're back at the movies. Yeah, I mean, this is this is tremendous. Um, there's a couple other details about this that are worth mentioning. Number one, this movie has not yet come out in China and has no release date for China. Um, that's a huge part of the global market that has not even touched this film. Chinese, Chinese film is usually a big deal that, that, uh, distributors want to get into Disney included. Um, it has come out in a lot of places, um, but there's a lot of places that haven't seen it yet. North America, there's a lot of theaters that are still closed. Canada has the same problem. Uh, to Canada has that problem. Like, uh, there's a lot of people who, who don't have the ability to watch this film at their local theater and they can get on Disney plus. And I think that's been a big part of their revenue, but, um, I guess I, I'm surprised. Like I, I, like I said, the last couple of weeks, I've been like, there's no way black widow beats fast nine at the box office. And like, not only did they beat them at home, they also beat them abroad. Um, hasn't come out in China yet. So I know there's still some numbers that way, but as far as opening weekend goes like stone cold stunner for the house of mouse, um, <coughs> man, good for Excuse them. Me, sir. And, um, and, and one more thing while I'm thinking about it, uh, males typically make up the majority going to see comic book films, but this is a female driven comic book movie. Uh, apparently the statistics say 58% of the audience was males, not too shabby. Not too shabby, ladies. You turned out. I I would have thought that number would have been higher for sure. Uh, but hey, well, fifty percent feels good. Well, see, that's the the interesting part is really o- overall um, comic book movies bring in male audiences, dis- regardless of who the star is. So it, it's it's funny because the the old the traditional thinking was so if if you have a female lead, it's going to bring in more females, less male, um, and it shows like it's comics books. Comic books generally skew more male, so that's uh, bringing in. Uh, more of that yeah well let's not waste any more time i want to talk about this movie because i have no idea what andy thought about it i really don't we haven't talked about it yet so i'm excited to get into it andy uh, is going to be taking the summary on this one so andy please uh don't let me stop you take it away black widow you don't know everything about me i've lived a lot of lives so after quite the hiatus uh, in Marvel films, uh, we have the Black Widow solo film starring Scarlett Johansson, once again taking on the role of Natasha Romanoff slash Black Widow, member of the Avengers, uh, former assassin. Um, we find her 
uh, this movie taking place right after the events of Civil War, where she's on the run. She's a fugitive from the law. Um, so we haven't gotten to Infinity War just yet. Um, she is eluding the the powers that be after the, the Sokovia Accords. Um, she ends up going to Budapest, Budapest, <laughs> however you decide to say it, and runs, in, yeah. runs into uh, her old uh, colleague and s- sister, uh, Yelena Belova, played by Florence Pugh, who is also a part of a former Black Widow assassin as well. And we learned that the, there was part, uh, basically a program or a place called the Red Room, which kind of trains and mind controls, uh, kidnaps these young women, turns them into assassins and, you know, tools for the uh, for the killing. So they, de- they decide to team up, take down uh, the Red Room and uh, a mysterious figure pl- uh, called Drakoff, uh, who runs it, uh, played by Ray, Ray Winstone. Um, and before they can do this, they have to reunite the family. They have to, uh, because we, it's revealed at the beginning, there's kind of a surrogate family that they had when they were young, uh, played by, uh, David Harbor, Harbor of Stranger Things, saying who is, plays the Red Guardian, who is a super soldier, uh, just like Captain America, um, but a little bit, uh, washed up and also, uh, kind of, uh, uh, stand-in mother Melina played by Rachel Vice. So they have to get the family back together. They got to take down um, the Red Room and Drakehoff and stop these uh, Black Widows, the Black Widow program, and kind of make everything right from there. And so we get in, we delve into Black Widow's backstory a little bit. We learn about her her family a little bit and this upgrade. Up- Upbringing, sorry, there's so much here. This plot is so much more complicated. It's so much more complicated, but it totally works in the movie. Like it it seemed really simple when I was watching it. Um, A lot to explain. Anyways, that's our plot. That's our setup. There's a lot going on. Zach, what'd you think? All right, so box office numbers aside, I don't want to say I was going into Black Widow thinking this is going to be an acceptable <laughs> Marvel film, but I kind of was, and, and and I'm going to tell you why, and and it's because, like Andy said at the top, she's a she's a bit of a B lister, right? She's not she's not like top she tier Avengers. It's even weird to say she is an Avenger. You think of the poster; she's down there with Hawkeye, right? She's like she's she's like, she's B tier, and that's okay. She's 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 B string. Um, and what I love about this movie is like, it totally acknowledges that and runs with it and is okay with it and, and answers the question of how the character might feel if they're presented with this idea that, Hey, you're not like Tony Stark and you're not like Thor, you're human and you are a little special, but for the most part, uh, you got to work with what you can. And Black Widow actually does a really brilliant job of painting Natasha Romanoff as this very human, uh, very vulnerable character who is not the superhero uh, that she thinks that, that the world thinks she is. I think who, who's somebody a little bit more complex uh, than just like a character on a cereal box. Um, in it's very long runtime and a little bit of a contrived plot. So movies two hours, 15. I, I was, surprised by how much fun I was having in my seat uh, and, and how much I was looking forward to finding out what was going to happen to our fair characters. Uh, fantastic cast. Pretty solid writing. I actually like this movie a lot. Black Widow is surprisingly good. Um, so let's talk about it. Shoot. Uh, what's the best place to start, Andy? Um, well, let's start with with our cast. Uh, we are introduced to a number of new characters. Um, and, and like I said, it's revealed that... that uh, growing up that they they had this kind of surrogate family they were all spies as as part of this you know soviet uh spy family in the u.s so uh the red guardian and melina weren't really their mother they just were acting so it's weird because it's it's a family but not really but they are kind of the only people that that they knew for an extended period of time uh growing up but we we have david harbour um Doing a pretty good, good Russian accent as uh, the Red Guardian, like we said. Every, revi- everybody does a pretty good Russian accent in this movie. Yeah. Um, and it's re- revealed that he is, you know, a super soldier. Which It's funny because, like, in in, M- in the MCU, there's only... It's always like, oh, there's no more super soldier serum left. There's, you know, th- they're done. And then it's like, they just kind of pop up out of nowhere. Um, but he, he is, you know, the Red Guardian, and he... he fancies himself a uh, contemporary of Captain America, though a little bit, you know, washed up because of the Soviet Union. Um, this, but there's a lot of, 
you know, gags there because he he's trying to like relive uh, <laughs> the glory days. Um, Ma, uh, Rachel Weiss plays Melina, who is kind of still working for the program, and and she's a, a Black Widow as as well. Um, fine. I mean, her her performance is fine. It, but it's it's really nice that she's casting this because I think she's she's over fifty now, and that's you know there was a time when you know a f- you wouldn't have a fifty year old woman in a, a, in an action role. Yeah, um, and then of course uh, the wonderful Florence Pugh, who is just stunning in everything she is, and uh, she almost is like stealing some of this movie from from Dude. ScarJo. Yeah, uh, she she's really good. So it's a really great cast, and they have to work together as this kind of dysfunctional family. And it it reminded me of a Fast Nine, F Nine. I can't remember what the real name is, and the Fast Saga. Yeah, where. Yeah. You know that the the Fast and Furious saga tr- tries to insert all this thing about family and family bonds, and it's really just like, come on, man, it's just about the cars and the action. It's so contrived, yeah, yeah. But like this is actually about family and what it means to have these kind of relate, and especially because they're not actually like blood related. It's all kind of the surrogate family, but it's all kind of who they have. But they're it's a really important element, and then it really works. And the movie takes a long time to really dedicate to this. There's this dinner scene that probably is like 20, 25 minutes of the movie where it's just like talking. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that, that worked for me. Go on, Zach. Yeah, I I was disappointed by uh, not a whole lot as far as the casting goes. Uh, David Harbour is about as delightful as Rachel, Rachel Weisz. They both play these kind of like uh, patriarch and matriarch, respectively, uh, to Natasha Romanoff's character. Uh, they're, they're kind of this mother and father figure, and they're both unique in their own ways. Yeah, they're both involved with this program. Uh, uh, David Harbour, like you said, is the Red Guardian. Um, and he never really gets the opportunity to deliver like the sentimental uh like 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 uppercut that i think david harbour is so good at if you've watched stranger things i think it's something he's he's actually really fantastic at he kind of has this uh i don't know he's he's good at being like kind of this like sentimental dad kind of figure uh he never really gets the opportunity to do that but he does get to have a lot of fun playing this like belligerent older washed up russian version of like a superhero that's just like pissed at captain america like that dude stole all my glory and i was the super soldier and i had a cool shield too and i was you know and and like that's a good time you get some good some good kind of funny uh straw man arguments with himself through that uh um rachel vice's character is melina is a lot of fun a quick mention you mentioned it's good that she's in this because it's rare that you see women uh, of her age getting roles like this. As far as diversity and inclusion goes, the movies, the trailer, the trailers for Black Widow included two films featuring uh, male uh, uh, Chinese uh, leads, or I should say Asian leads. I'm sorry. Uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. That's the Chinese part. And Snake Eyes, uh, G.I. Joe Origins, which was rad. So just a quick mention. Rock on, man. The good things are happening at the movies. Uh, she's great. I like her a lot. She's kind of plays this distant, far away, removed woman who works this job that she's like, not really that passionate about. And you can tell it's kind of sucks some of the soul out of her. And she's great at that. Um, but the movie features a de-aged uh, Rachel Weisz at the beginning. It definitely made me think of like the mummy. I was like, Oh no, I remember when she was like young and vibrant and doing fun stuff. And this is still fun, but Rachel Weisz is a delight is what I'm saying. Uh, Florence Pugh, you're hundred percent right, dude. She straight steals some scenes right out from under Scarlett Johansson. Uh, she's too good. She's too good to be a sidekick. <laughs> she's too yeah. good to be a sidekick. Like I, I, once again, Florence Pugh is in a role that I'm like, why are you on the sidelines? Like you should basically be the lead. I should, there's the same thing in little women. Midsommar, she obviously had some opportunity to kind of stretch her legs and she did great, uh, stretch her. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think I think things are good as far as the casting goes. Uh, on the other side of the aisle, um, we've got Ray Winstone as a, a kind of antagonist character. Also, William Hurt is in this film. Both of them are mediocre. Ray Winstone, I don't understand how that dude gets work. He doesn't look like anybody. He he he, he <laughs> just every time he, I see him he, in a movie, I'm just like, you look like nobody. You look like extra number four. Like I don't a, understand. He's got a great voice, man. He's that's like, he's got a good voice. That's true. He, he was he like, was great he, in Beowulf. Yeah, he does a terrible Russian ac- accent in this. Like he loses his accent every like other right. word. The Russian accents still, are acceptable in this film. Yeah, but he's still like he's he's a big guy. He's a big figure, and you know he's got he's does that thing where he talks like right in your face. That's really 
effective. Um, like he's a he's a great actor, uh, but just like you're right, he does he does kind of look yeah. generic. Like anytime I see and Ray Winstone in the credits, I kind of just laugh. Like, okay, why why is he on the end? He's not he's not doing anything. I looked at his IMDb. He has like two notable films. Anyway, uh, enough about Ray Winstone. Uh, he because he's fine in this movie, and and for an antagonist, he does what he needs to do, but. Uh, I think our plot, like I said, it's a little, it's a little all over the place. It's a little large uh, for two for a movie that's coming up on two and a half hours. I did not expect this to be so um, global. I guess. Yeah, like like I said, there's a lot going on, but it it works pretty well. Like when when I was in the movie, I didn't have a difficult time at all following it along. What was doing? It's like okay, first we we have to. We have to free him from prison. We have to get the family back together. We have to find the location. We got to stop this. And it was it was all just laid out cleanly enough for me to follow, even though, like I said, me trying to recite it makes it sound super complicated. From the comic book side, Andy, I'm hoping you can help me out with this. When does this take place in the Marvel Universe? Because the last we saw of Black Widow, she was getting iced by an Infinity Stone, and that was it. But obviously in this, she's alive. So this takes place before then? Yes, this is, so the, I, I don't know, I'm not familiar enough with the uh, comics, but I, like I said, this is taking place before uh, Infinity War and after C- Civil War, <laughs> so like, not to not to get you uh, too confused, right. um, but it's it's just sliding in right there, right before the uh, the events of in Infinity War, and 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 again, the the films are inspired by the comics, but they're not direct translations. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and, and I think the timeline can be a little confusing if you kind of think about it too much. But this movie does a great job of dropping you right into the action. Um, and before you know it, 20 minutes in, you're swept up in a plot uh, involving our character. She has some kind of motivation. She's got a goal she's working towards. And it kind of just brings you along for the ride from there. And I think it does a good job of that. It reminded me a lot of like if I, you know, I'm, I'm not a big Black Widow fan, but... I've seen the Avengers. I'm familiar with her in passing. If I was going to go to a comic book shop and pick up Black Widow issue one and have no idea where it starts, this feels like a fine jumping off point for her own adventure. Like, I, I, and that I think is a sign of a of good writing in a comic book film. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wanted to to talk about the action, of course. In the film. So. The action is is really good. It's really great, um, and it's really brutal in some spots. There is a, a fight between uh, Black Widow and Elena when they kind of first find each other, and man, it's they're throwing each other like through glass and through the walls. It, it reminds me a lot of Kill Bill, actually, like the, the first fight when the bride uh, meets yeah uh, one of the first. Like it's just really visceral. Like every it feels like they're breaking bones on each throw and each each punch um but so the, the but the the fighting and all the action is you know it's top tier marvel and what i think th- is impressive is that they've managed to make it exciting without you know with characters that essentially don't have superpowers that are you know regular human people that are just a little bit less destructible than the rest of us um so the, the action is, is is still really good and um you know because i wasn't sure what they were going to do without any superpowers yeah um it 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 it's funny, this movie, I think being set when it is, uh, shares some similar imagery with like other Marvel properties. Uh, at one point there are like, you know, trucks that say shield on the side of them. And there's like some kind of jets that fly, like a lot of stuff you've seen in Marvel films, right? Because this takes place kind of in the middle of the timeline that we're familiar with. Um, but what stood out to me was, yeah, the action and the cinematography, much of this film is handheld. Um, which makes it feel very grounded. It feels like reality. It feels like somebody's in the room holding a camera because they are, right? You don't have these big sweeping crane shots all the time. And that makes your movie feel more like real. It makes you feel like you're there. It makes our characters feel more vulnerable and more human, which is great for Natasha Romanoff. The movie's directed by Kate Shortland, who before now has done... I mean, I, I don't mean to speak ill of, of her work, but as far as I, nothing I know. Uh, she did a movie in 2017 called Berlin syndrome. She did four episodes of a TV show. And now in 2021, she's directing a Disney film. Not sure how somebody over there loves her and she's good. She, she was a a solid director for this. It felt like her, her cinematography had personality. It felt unique. Um, I also really liked the lighting in this film. Um, you know, the, 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 the color scheme of black widow, you can look at the poster and see it's black, it's red. And then a little bit of white for this film. 
Um, and this movie does a really good job of peppering like those red lights through a lot of scenes. You'll see little glimmers of red or like striking blue light. Like um, it, it feels like a very complete thing. I, I, I guess in, in shorter, in, in a less roundabout way of saying it, it feels like a proper Marvel film, which is exactly what it should feel like. It doesn't feel like Sony's Spider-Man. It doesn't feel like a Disney Plus series. This feels like a Marvel movie. And like, thank God, because um, Black yes. Widow deserves it. Like she, her character, even though she's a bit of that B-string Avenger, deserves the, the, the A-list treatment. And that's exactly what she gets here. Now, I do want to talk about uh, <laughs> the way she's treated by other people in the movie. A lot of people just call her a superhero. Are you a superhero? Or, or they assume that she's going to call her superhero friends the Avengers. They throw the word Avenger around a lot in this movie. Yeah. Um, despite you never actually seeing any other Avengers. Uh, and, and I was surprised by that. Um, but they don't shy away from it. They don't act like she doesn't have a past. She does. And this film leans into it. And I was surprised at how well she comes out on the other side of that. Yeah, I... I well, what I was going to kind of get into is how... Uh, like, Mar- Marvel has managed to evolve even this movie... Um, and even kind of like they poke fun at themselves a little bit in this, um, but they, they kind of get away from a lot of what they've done before. So Marvel for a while was really known for the, the quips, you know, the, the, the quick fast lines and jokes that used to be peppered all throughout. It's kind of the, the phase two and three films a lot. And it almost got a little cliche and this movie's really funny. Like there's a lot of good jokes, but it's not that kind of humor. It's just different. Like, I think they realize like, Hey, we've, we did that for a while. We've kind of done that enough. Let's move on. And so there's still humor, but it's just uh, different. Um, the other thing that, that stands out to me is that, you know, the films are always having to set up new things, either a TV show or more films. And for a while, it you know, some of the, again, the phase two stuff seemed like that's all those films were doing, particularly something like Age of Ultron. It's got us setting up like three or four films. Uh, we got a little bit of this, but it was much, much smaller. It was still felt like it was focused on the Black Widow narrative and not not preoccupied with, well, what's the next movie or what's the next TV show we got to set up? Yeah, and, and I think that is important. Like, it, it gives this film, like, its own sense of kind of being being its own thing. And it serves as, I think, a, a satisfying, at least, like, temporary indication of a pause on what this character is doing next. I don't know if they have any intentions to do anything more with uh, the character Black Widow, obviously in the updated timeline after the events of Endgame, she is not around anymore. Um, And you'll have to go see the movie and find out whether or not that's answered here. But for what it's worth, um, at least on my end, I, I don't find myself having questions about what's next. Um, there is a, a post-credit scene. I think you should definitely stick around and watch. Uh, but I, I do, I do wonder if they'll revisit this. Uh, what do you, what do you think, Andy? Are they, are they going to just kind of let this be, or do you think they're going to do something with it? I mean, I mean, I know that uh, Florence Pugh's character, uh, I think, has been slated slated for a Disney Plus show. Yeah. Uh, so I think, and I think that will kind of take place after the events at the end of this movie, not necessarily what comes after the, the end credit scene. Um, so I know that, that she's going to kind of stick around. She's essentially going to be the new black widow. You know, I, yeah, I know that. I, yeah. Yeah. They're not there. And uh, that reminds me of something else I read. Like they're not signing people to like 10 film contracts anymore. Like now that they have the universe established, it's going to be much smaller, like groups of people or fewer films. Yeah. Right. It's going to be more more tangential, more spread out. You don't want to have another endgame situation where you've got like a script bouncing between 15 writers and only parts of it know how it all works. And you've got actors all over the place like that's a whole that's a whole hassle. Way easier to dedicate individual projects, knock those out one by one and then have all of those weave into a larger picture. Hopefully that works in phase four. Um, and it pays off in the same way Endgame did. I don't, I don't know if it will, but there, it definitely does feel like a little bit of a passing of the torch movie. Um, I hope this is not the end for Scarlett Johansson, in the Marvel universe. I don't think she's contracted for anything else past here. So it probably is. Um, but who knows? I, I, I think, 
I think it's it's weird to create an origin film for a character after they're gone. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And it, it it begs the question, will there be more? Because we there wasn't supposed to be, and now there's this, right? Like, there wasn't supposed to be more to Natasha Romanoff's story, and now we have a film that is surprisingly good. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, do, I do feel like there is a scene at the end of this film that, in a small way, felt like a bit of a passing of the torch, for sure between Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh. Um, I don't mind that. Again, Florence Pugh is great and she needs more work, I think. So that's good. Um, yeah, I think those are kind of my my general impressions. And you did stick around for that end credit scene, right? I did, yes. Let me tell you, after it's been, it's been two years since we've had a Marvel movie in theaters. The last one was Spider-Man Far From Home two years ago. And despite all that time, man, Marvel has people trained so good. The credits for this movie started and like out of my whole theater, which was almost full, like two people got up and left. Everybody else just got their phones out and waited. That's all. Everybody. Just, I saw all the phones come out and everybody's on Facebook, <laughs> scrolling, talking to their friends. And as soon as the post credit scene comes on, everybody's like, shut up, shut up, shut up. It's, it's, it's the scene. And everybody shuts up and watches it. And then it ends and we all get up and leave. I was like, man, <laughs> like imagine commanding that much, that, that much attention from an audience that they will sit there and wait. Uh, good for them, you know, and you should, cause it's, you know, it's, it's post credits, Marvel scenes. We're sticking around. Andy, any other thoughts before recommendations? I feel like we, I, I don't want to say we just skipped right over this one, but I don't want to give anything away. Uh, yeah. The, the, <laughs> we need to talk about taskmaster. Who's the, okay, uh, let's talk, let's talk about taskmaster. Who's kind of the, it's not not really a big bad. It's it it a bad guy um, who is an, an antagonist here. Who it seems like their supernatural ability is they they can kind of mirror whoever they're fighting. They will learn, you know, the the style or technique of whoever they're fighting. They become kind of a almost a clone. Yes. Um, but this character was really kind of underused. Really cool character has like a shield the similar camp captain america um but just kind of gets punched a lot and isn't really super uh central to the plot so i would liken it to and tell me if this is a safe assumption i don't think this is spoilery i would liken it to the treatment of the mandarin and iron man 3 versus yeah. like the actual big bad that was behind the scenes in the comics the mandarin is a big deal in the films mm -hmm. Not so much. And I think Taskmaster has similar treatment in this one, but a solid villain. Uh, when they introduced them on screen, I was and explained basically the gimmick. Oh, this is somebody who can mimic anybody else's powers at, 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 without any problem at all. They just see them do it once and they're on their way. I was like, that's a brilliant comic book villain idea. Brilliant comic book villain. And they are definitely underused in this movie. So hopefully they come back. Hopefully we get some more Taskmaster at some point. I know I've said that about a lot of previous uh, Marvel villains that have not come back. But um, yeah, Taskmaster is cool. And I wish they had more Taskmaster scenes for sure. Um, so, yeah. And then, sorry, one, one final, one final. Yeah, yeah. Thing. The airing uh, of the know, grievances. Yeah. No, well, well, part of this movie is it's about, um, you know, I want to just want to talk a little bit about themes. Uh, it's a, a little bit, you know, it's a female empowering movie. And there are definitely some themes that are, they're not hit on the head. It's not very explicitly like it's not preachy, but it's definitely about, you know, like, themes about controlling women or attempts to control women and like free will, personal choice. Uh, these kinds of things that are very important in like the fight for e equal rights. So that's also a lot uh, that this movie is about. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't like hit you over the head with it. I remember um, when the first Wonder Woman film came out, um, there were some people who were like, you know, this is a lot for equality. And obviously there's been some time between now and then that movie was coming out at a different time, blazing a different sort of trail. But um, there's some scenes in Wonder Woman that are very explicit talking about the difference between men and women, you know, uh, the way, the way Diana's character has this kind of meek understanding of men and the world around her. I mean, she's literally never met a man. Uh, so she's, she's kind of got this doe eyed like impression of Steve Rod, not Rogers, whatever his name is, uh, her, her, her boo in that movie. Uh, and, and like, it's, it's a little awkward and this movie like doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do that. It, it entertains the same ideology, but in a different way that felt a little bit less, um, I don't know, in your face, I guess. And it's not that the previous one did. It's not that Wonder Woman does. But I think for all the dudes out there who went and saw Wonder Woman and are petty and are like, it's all about girl power, lame. I think they will say that less about this. And that's just from uh, some simple shifts in scripting. 
and and how you talk about it and i think this movie does the same thing it might do it better uh yeah yeah um so good on disney and good on marvel and good on black widow i again i i'm surprised at how much i liked it uh and, and that's that's a good thing Andy, you ready for recommendations i am for real this time andy would you <laughs> recommend black widow uh yeah absolutely absolutely if you're a marvel fan fan of the mcu uh that's probably the the one detriment um if you're not caught up on the marvel universe uh you might be a little lost but aside from that uh it's a lot of fun it's there's a heartwarming story of of the family the surrogate family that they never had it's funny there's good action uh good acting and it's again it's nice to be back in the theater with a marvel movie it makes things feel like we're almost back to normal yeah i'd recommend it as well i had a lot of fun if you haven't seen a marvel movie maybe not um Otherwise, like a lot of fun, very enjoyable. Hey, you could still go see it and not have seen a Marvel film and be fine. Like you would, I think you would get what's going on here and enjoy the action and enjoy the drama and enjoy the kind of adventure we're going on. Um, so yeah, I'd recommend it. I, I don't know if I'd recommend watching on Disney Plus for 30 bucks, but if you've done it with previous films, nothing's, you know, nothing's there to stop you. Go nuts if you don't want to go to the theater. Um, otherwise, yeah, I, I did go see it in theaters and the theatrical experiences. Oh. okay yeah i mean it's, yeah. it's a theatrical that, film that did remind me there were two downsides in my uh screening where the mix was something was off about the mix where like the voices and like sound effects were fine but like the music was really turned down real low hmm. but it was like not enough to i was like i feel like if i complain about this no one's gonna know what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah but it was it was enough to be noticeable that's like when I went and saw La La Land for the podcast and like, I swear the projector was out of focus, but I could never like, I was like, I can't prove it. Like, and they didn't shoot the movie out of focus. So what am I looking at here? And like, I kind of just tolerated it. That's watching movies yeah. in a theater. Um, well, good, good for you for, for, you know, letting other people enjoy the experience. Yeah. So the, yeah, it, it was distracting to me, but it was fine overall. The other thing there was someone decided to, to vape a few fat clouds, um, in your right, theater like right in front of me well they they only did it like like two or three times at the beginning and then they that was it but didn't go get the manager huh no well if they had mm. continued i would have but that's fair uh yeah i uh it's somebody you know my first my first job ever was working at a movie theater and i'm, I'm all too familiar with people coming out and being like hey somebody's doing something suspect in there you need to go do something never fun to be that dude who has to go into the theater and tell tell an adult to stop doing something never cool never enjoyed it but, but i digress well if you don't want to go to the movies you can watch the movie on disney plus like we said it's available for premium vod at 30 dollars uh, on top of your disney plus subscription which seems like a lot to some people i've rented uh, movies like this in the past uh, from them or purchased i guess i should say ryan the last dragon i watched it that way uh, i can't remember the one before that but i watched it that way too and Disney's had, at least as far as we know until now, some success. But we've been surprised this weekend. Disney has published the numbers. They just told us flat out, hey, here's how much we made opening weekend from Black Widow uh, in the box office. And it is a stunning, stunning number to say the least. Andy, you want to open this up for us? Yeah, it's time for the death of cinema. So Black Widow stunner Disney streaming revenue re reveal may be a game changer. Is this wordy title from the Hollywood Reporter? Um, usually, when uh, usually streaming services do not reveal numbers of any kind that are useful. Uh, you know, they'll say very vague things like it was the number one most watched thing over the weekend or the most watched thing we've ever had, but uh, they're not any things you can really verify or kind of put real numbers to there is some service that that is attempting to do that but it again it's it's very unclear so this is one of the first times that a streaming service has said this is how much money we made it's 60 million dollars off people renting at home and this is a 30 dollars rental like it's not cheap uh at all although it is probably cheaper if you have a large uh family that i can go see it yeah. um but this is, uh, you know, this might be a game changer if they, you know, because no, like I said, no one else reveals numbers. And if Disney comes out swinging, it's going to, you know, motivate the other services to, well, we got to, if we have a, a hit, we got to prove that we had a hit, you know? So, yeah. So I think something like this is uh, <laughs> good for consumers uh, for exactly why you just said, um, I, I want to know when something's a hit. I hate trying to figure out 
how much how, how well a movie did or i hate having a third party service tell me hey we think this many people watch this movie on netflix this weekend but we're not really sure first off good for disney blaze a trail all right you're big enough you can do it come on come on disney get them uh secondly uh 60 million dollars is nothing to scoff at um hollywood reporter dug in they said disney has like 103 million uh global subscribers uh, and 60 million means 2 million paid to see it so 2 million subscribers out of 103 million said hey this is worth the price of admission i'm just gonna pay the 30 dollars and watch it at home which is nothing to scoff at i think this says hey this $30 price works. I think this says it's encourages other streaming services to jump on the bandwagon. And ultimately I, I think it's good for us on the consumer side, because I like being able to see those numbers and for the big answer as to why they did this. We don't really know. Uh, but what we do know uh, from one wall street analyst who's interviewed for this, they said it's for marketing purposes. Uh, it's easy to say a movie made over $200 million over the opening weekend. It's a psychological thing. You tell people, hey, this made $60 million of Disney Plus. They want to watch it and find out what it's all about. Maybe there's some truth to that. Andy, what do you think? Yeah, that, that is an interesting thing. Yeah, without the Disney Plus numbers, they'd be saying, uh, you know, made $150 million, which is still really impressive. But when you can add more to it, yeah, then again, it makes buzz. If, if you hear a movie does incredible numbers at the box office, yeah, you might be more likely uh, to go see it. Yeah. I do worry this will encourage Disney to continue doing this. Um, I mean, I like that they're announcing stuff, but I hate that they charge $30. Though, for what it's worth, let me explain. For 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 me and Christine to go see it, my partner, um, we went and saw it at, at a, a, a XD theater, right? One with like premium sound or whatever. It was like 16 bucks a ticket. It literally would have been cheaper to stay home for two people. <laughs> so yeah. like... Dude, yeah, like for 30, like, I mean, we we talked about it when we were ordering tickets. We were going to see it with a friend, which is ultimately why we decided to go to the theater. But in the future, like, I will probably just continue doing this. I like seeing Disney movies in a theater, um, but it is hard to deny with increasing ticket costs that this isn't a value, to me, at least. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, I, I went with a friend and we it would have probably been the same. And it would have been a little bit easier to just rent it home because, like, we had to schedule, we had to do some driving you know, some guy was smoke vaping fat clouds in the theater. Yeah. The sound was off. Like, that's what I mean. I was like, none of that would have been yeah. a problem at home. Yep. I, I mean, especially if you're like date night. I mean, you, you could go to a theater and deal with the guy ripping dragon clouds up front. <laughs> yeah. You get you go home, get cozy on the couch, get a blanket, dude. Like, I, I don't know. To each their own, I guess. But and it's I'm basically it's definitely making it harder to. uh Want to, want to go to the theater sometimes. Of course. So do you think there's any chance Netflix, other companies get on board with this, start releasing numbers? I mean, what do you figure the odds are? Well, it's weird because um, Netflix doesn't have, they don't charge anything extra, so they don't have any other numbers other they can say how many, if they actually admitted how many households watched something, uh, that that would be one thing. Um, same thing with HBO, HBO Max, it's not it, because they charge an extra fee for this. They can kind of pinpoint exactly how much people are are paying to see it or not paying to see it. Um, so I think that's difficult for other ones. What what's what'll be interesting will be to see if Disney keeps doing this. Like they have um, the Jungle Cruise uh, movie coming out at the end of the month. Uh, so it'll be interesting if they do this for that film as well. Yeah, I mean, for all we know, they could just be doing this to flex that they finally have a movie that's making enough money worth reporting. I mean, for all we know, Jungle Cruise comes out and they say nothing because it's a big fat bomb. You know, we don't know. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. Well, uh, yeah. Well, and uh, Shang-Chi also uh, comes out September 3rd. And that's that's a Marvel film, but that is supposed to be theaters only. But uh, who knows? They might give you the uh, the rental option as well there. I know I mentioned Shang-Chi when I was talking about diverse trailers in front of Black Widow, but real talk, that new trailer for Shang-Chi looks like good stuff, man. Yeah, it was, it was the most sick. exciting trailer I've seen yet. The first couple, I was like, yeah, this looks all right. And, and then I saw it in Black Widow in the theater. I was like, okay, I see what's going on here. This this movie looks dope. I hope it's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, ultimately, I think this is good for people. I, I I think it's good for streaming services. I think I think companies being transparent about earnings is a positive metric uh for everybody but you know not everybody does it so we'll have to wait and see one more thing i wanted to ask before i move on to the final film of the episode mm -hmm. andy uh do you think future marvel films are going to start 
do you think movie the future Marvel movies are going to start to collapse under the weight of the rest of the, of the rest of the franchise? I mean, Black Widow has a bit of that problem. It's hard to recommend if you haven't seen other Marvel films because it's like, dude, they're talking about characters and events. You're going to have no idea what they're saying. I know Phase Four is supposed to move into this fresh, open space, but I'm going to be honest, it's going to be hard for me to watch Eternals. When I'm thinking to myself, hey, where are the Avengers? Do they come up? Or same with Shang-Chi. At some point, I'm like, why isn't Iron Man flying in to help out? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I I, th I think they are trying to somewhat, I'm mean, not start over, but definitely introduce new properties and new things that aren't interacting with the existing MCU. Um, like, you know, I mean, I don't really know much about the Eternals, but I think they're they're trying to not have it mix as much as it, it did before. Who who knows? I mean, but you're right. We may reach a point where, okay, we have Marvel's face one through seven and okay, we need to stop and start over with something new because right. pe people haven't watched all 48 movies. Yeah. Like how, how far are we from just like, we got to wipe the slate clean, which is supposed to be what happened at the end, end of end game. But like, even then, um, I know this is a movie that is derivative of those films. I totally get it. And this was supposed to come out a couple of years ago before the pandemic. Like, so it, there's been this delay and it feels weird now, but I don't know. Yeah. Just watching, I couldn't help but think at some point I was like, where are all the other superheroes? Like, when are they going to come crashing in to save the day here? And, and fortunately they don't black widow has the opportunity to do this all on her own. But, um, you know, as this grows, as we get bigger, it seems like an inevitable question, right? Right. Well, part I know part of what they're doing, DC's doing this as well, is introducing the concept of the multiverse where every character can do anything you want. You want to kill yep. them off. You want them to have a different story arc. You want them to be a good guy, a bad guy that, you know, you kind of do whatever. And that's once we get there, we're firmly into comic book world because that's what comics do all, all the time. And they're also comics are also designed for you to like just pick one up and start from wherever, even if you haven't read the entire, you know. Batman mythos. Yeah, and I wonder if that'll be something they get better at too. Or it'll go the other way and it'll be like, what, do you mean you didn't watch these four series on Disney Plus? Well, of course you have no idea what's happening in this film. You fool. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but just, just an afterthought, I guess. Anyway, uh, we should move on to the next review, uh, the final review of this episode. I'm going to be taking the summary on this one. The movie is Nobody. <laughs> So they took maybe 20 bucks and an old watch? Mr. Madsen, did you even take a swing? No. Could have taken her, Dad. So, Nobody is the story of Hutch Mansell, an underestimated and overlooked dad living in suburbia. Uh, Hutch is played by Bob Odenkirk. Uh, Bob, or I should say Hutch, is just a quiet, meek, mild-mannered dad who works at a lumber mill and goes to work Monday through Friday and just does his thing. Uh, one night, his house gets robbed and a couple of unsuspecting burglars happen upon him. And rather than take him out with a golf club like the grizzled war veteran he used to be, uh, instead, he leans on the side of being calm, kind, mild-mannered suburban dad, doesn't hurt him. They get away. He catches some flack from the cops who are like, that had been my family. I'd have messed him up, man. And then slowly he, he realizes that this long simmering rage that has been sitting under this facade of being a suburban father is, is slowly coming back to life. And this incident was the spark that really set the whole thing off. Uh, it turns out he has a past. He's, he's, he's done some nasty things to people and he's a pretty tough somebody. Or rather, nobody. And uh, once he begins to take action to his own hands to find these people who robbed him, he unsuspectingly sets off the attention of the Russian drug mob and uh, th things get nuts. Uh, the movie is Nobody. It stars Bob Odenkirk along with uh, Connie Nielsen, Christopher Lloyd and Michael Ironside. Uh, Andy, what did you think? So I, I've heard a, a lot of buzz about this actually in, in the last uh, couple of months and I'd wanted to see this when it came out, but it also looked a little generic and I was like, well, that looks like it might be kind of forgettable. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. The action is, it's, it's uh, pretty gruesome. It's over the top, uh, lots of shooting, lots of fighting hand to hand combat. 
uh, Bob Odenkirk, who knew, is is uh, convincing as an action star. You know, I could see him taking up the, the kind of roles that Liam Neeson uh, should have retired from a long time ago. Um, but there's a lot of humor. This whole thing of him, like we've seen this kind of story play, played be- before. Uh, Harry Brown come, comes to mind of the, uh, the quiet, uh, average citizen who's actually a killer in disguise, ex special forces. So th- this isn't treading new ground, but it it does feel kind of a, a fresh take because he is, you know, he is a lot of his his character from Better Call Saul. His his more k- kind of tame, uh, wound down version of himself. Because again, he has a mundane job. He's lives in suburbia. You know, he's he jogs every day he's got he got the he has this routine everyone kind of thinks he's a pushover he doesn't get any respect from his father-in-law and brother-in-law um and when he 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 finally has the opportunity to unleash his like old you know his particular set of skills um it's really incredible and and what's great is that he a lot of times these movies they'll be like oh you know i didn't i hated i thought i put that guy away but he just had to come out like when he does it, he's like no he's been waiting for this character to be unleashed and his, you know like him being mild-mannered uh you know hutch everyday hutch is the disguise that's not who he is he is like an ass kicking bone breaking like face smashing gun shooting uh sob and that's who he is and that's who he's missed being it's true. Uh, he's, he's a bit of the Bruce Wayne Batman archetype. And and while I really enjoyed seeing Bob Odenkirk just tear it up on screen, I mean, he's got a background not only in comedy, but in improv. Obviously, Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. He's done some serious drama work. He's great in this movie. He, he does a fantastic job of carrying the lead, being the protagonist. I, I liked him a lot. Um, he His character does have a bit of this... On the one hand, absolute nefarious side of like, I will mess up anybody always. On the other hand, he's like, he's a little like Woody Woodpecker. Like he's, he's invincible and nothing will ever mess him up. And he will always get one over on everybody. And he will work up some quick MacGyver style solution to whatever the problem is. And like, I know that's the point of the movie. The movie poster has a bunch of fists punching the dude in the face, right? Like, I get it. And Odenkirk's great for that role. But it does make it feel a little flat in its delivery to me. It's a bit like Rambo. But fortunately, yeah, it's not like two hours long like Rambo. It's a tight 90 minutes. And if I'm watching an action movie, dude, I couldn't couldn't ask for more than like a tight 90 minute fun romp feature. And I love it. It is good stuff. So let's jump into it. Uh, I, I, I talked a little bit about Odenkirk. Uh, anybody else in performances you want to mention? I did want to talk about uh, Connie Nielsen, his wife, who is the most wooden housewife I've ever seen on screen, <laughs> I think. Christopher yeah. Lloyd as his dad is too old to be in movies anymore. I love Christopher Lloyd to death. Dude, just go home. Like you're... <laughs> uh, and 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 the, the big bad, Alexei Surabayakov. As, as kind of our, our Russian mobster individual. I haven't seen him in much. He was actually okay. I, I kind of liked him a little bit. He's like a bit of a karaoke singer on the side and he's kind of <laughs> dynamic, like not too shabby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Connie Nielsen, uh, for those who w- aren't familiar, uh, she was in uh, the two Wonder Woman movies. She plays Wonder Woman's mother, uh, Hippolyta. Who's a character who's intentionally like closed off and, you know, she's also in Gladiator for the yeah. similar thing. Like that's her character. And like, that's like, cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel, I feel like, yeah, she was um just kind of wasted a little bit in this movie. Um, yeah. The side characters are fun. Uh, again, Christopher Lloyd playing the, I mean, he, he is supposed to be playing his dad. So he is kind of in that age range. Uh, special appearance from uh, RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. Uh, that was, nicest. that was a surprise. Nice to see him. Oh, I noticed. I saw him in the credits, and I noticed his voice. Uh, like you hear his voice before you see him. Um, yeah. So knew knew right away. Uh, yeah. You you are right though. He does kind of. He's a little bit too invincible, and he's to be a little bit more like uh, yeah. fragile. I don't know. I'm not yet. Yeah, not to say he's not invincible, but like when you saw the trailer for this film, I don't think I'm surprising anybody by saying, yeah, we have our protagonist who's just like mega badass man who will work over a a army of faceless, nameless Russian goons who come running at him down a hallway, right? Like, and that's great because that's what you're signing up for when you go to see the film. Um, but this movie, like, it goes around on itself. It like it it makes a it makes fun of it. 
like the the way it's edited the, the editing of this movie is actually really fantastic um it, it features a lot of like jump cuts through hutch's day uh, i mean the first the first the film opens on like a week in the life of hutch and it's like a two minute sequence and it goes monday to friday it's so fast like it just flies by you because his daytime life outside of this is boring it's dull he is a normal person like that is the whole thing. And the movie is it, it approaches that in a very tongue in cheek format. It does the same thing with its action. Its action is over the top to a fault. And it kind of laughs at itself that way. It's almost like poking you in the ribs like, hey, you're seeing this, right? This is funny. You like this. Um, and I do because, again, like 90 minutes tight, fast, easy. Great. It's it's simple film. Um but it's it's like I don't, I don't know I can't I can't put my finger on it. It's like protagonist exploitation or something. Like we have a character who is just Billy badass all the time, <laughs> and that's great. But like it, they it doesn't it doesn't make them human. It makes him invincible. And like I I don't I I, I wish our mild mannered Hutch was actually as as mild tempered I, I don't know i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to say but you see what i mean right i'm not crazy I, I feel yeah, like yeah he, he needs yeah. to have some flaws he he is a little bit miss, mr perfect because even because even as like you know as a husband and father he is uh like perfect as as well you know takes out the trash good with the kids like it's um and there's they, they kind of have a struggling marriage but it's not really clear why yeah, yeah, like this. This doesn't. This doesn't feel like like an action film you would go to the theater and see. It feels like an action film you would see Homer and Bart watching on their TV in The Simpsons. <laughs> like it's like a it's like a mock of like an action film, but in the best way. Like not not in a bad way, in a good way. But like I don't know. It's it's hard to put my finger on what's happening here, and it's unique. And I just I wanted to make sure we talked about it a little bit. I think the uh, the runtime, like you said, has a lot to do with how enjoyable this is. By contrast, um, one of the movies we talked about, seeing uh, the Tomorrow War, I did sit through it um, mostly on my phone. That movie is two and a half hours long, and it it feels like it's ending around a hundred minutes, and then it just goes on for another forty minutes and like two oh, acts worth. And that's it's like criminal. And that, and that movie has a lot of uh, you know kind of mindless action as well. And I was like, that would have worked for a hundred minutes, but not for two hundred minutes. There's nothing we sit through. There's nothing worse than a movie that feels like it's ending and has another whole act to go. When your movie feels like it's ending, it's because it is. Wrap it. Like it's over. Like you yeah. you've lost your audience. People are ready. We're satisfied with what's happening. My God. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad we didn't watch Tomorrow War. I heard really middling things about it too. I'm glad we watched this. This is unique. Um, yeah, and the runtime definitely doesn't hurt it. Uh it it's lacking in like a big cast. It's lacking in a big budget, but it's really simple. It's got great action too, by the way. For me, for me sitting here grandstanding about how Bob Odenkirk is 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 like a Looney Tune, uh, it's very good. The, the the first real action scene you get, there's no music. It's just it's just dudes grunting as they beat the hell out of each other, uh, and it's great. And and it really only goes from there. Our soundtrack does feature a lot of uh, of fifties and sixties like swing. And and kind of bandstand music. I don't know why that is, um, but it's it's surprisingly good. A lot of Frank Sinatra. Yeah. A little bit of like Sam Cole. Uh, I don't know. Um, not Sam Cole. Who am I thinking of? I don't know. I don't know who I'm thinking of. But um, Matt King Cole. That's who I'm thinking of. Uh, or Sam Cooke. There you go. Uh, but but for what it's worth, like the movie is put together in a surprisingly formidable fashion that feels unique and feels like its own thing. It's director Ilya. I'm not going to get his name right. Ilya Nyshuler. Uh, most recently did hardcore Henry. If you remember that movie. Oh yeah. Okay. So I think that's part of the reason, like it feels like it just has this really visceral cut, cut straight to the point approach in its action and in its story. It's, it's 90 minutes, dude. We're not, we're not screwing around when we watch nobody. Like we're getting to the goods now. And, and like, Mad respect. That's that. That's good. That's good stuff. Yeah, and like I, th I think one of the big things this movie has accomplished is, like I said, it, it set up Bob Odenkirk to be an action star, which is like the last thing you would think, because you know he's known best for uh, Better Call Saul, uh, or you know that role is Saul Goodman, um, and he's done a lot of film since then. Uh, but this is the first time he's been like the main lead in doing uh, the action stuff. Yeah, I uh, I don't know what he's doing. I was just looking up what what he's got on on uh, uh, up next, and it's mostly TV. I mean, for for the foreseeable future, he's just doing TV work, uh, including Better Call Saul, of course, which obviously is plenty of drama. But um, he's not like going on. The la the last movie I saw him in was Little Women, 
which also starred yeah. Flor- Florence Pugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. That's what, that's what the last thing I, I remember seeing him. Yeah, he's playing the, the father figure in that period piece. Yeah. Um, like, and now yeah, and he's, then, he's like breaking Russian's jaws. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then before that, he was in Incredibles 2 as as like the, the kind of fake villain. Like, I don't, oh, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I think he's got a lot of range and he's surprisingly good in this movie. Like, you root for him. You want him to succeed. Um but he's he's definitely he's definitely got that dark side. He's definitely got that that razor's edge yeah. on the backside. I mean, even his family at some points are looking at him like, "Who the hell are you?" You know. <laughs> and the movie doesn't th- really answer that. I, I guess the answer is he's nobody. That's the whole gag. Like he's just yeah. some guy. You know. And and I think uh, yeah, what I was gonna say that's really where his acting really comes into play. Where it, like his, his version of mired, mild mannered um, Hutch. Hutch Mansell is really convincing, and then when he flips the switch, because then he he does he's not just punching and kicking everyone. His his whole attitude uh, changes. You know, his like I'm going to kill you and everyone in this room right now. Um, his demeanor is different, and that's really convincing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I it's a little weird uh, on the physical side, I should say. Odenkirk does not look like he should be dancing with all these dudes. Uh, I mean, Odenkirk was born. He was born in 1962. All right. And he's fighting like 22 year old Russian gangsters that have guns with his fists. And they're like throwing him through walls and stuff. I'm like, okay, he's not Superman. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, you could say the same thing about Liam Neeson. Like, Liam Neeson was taking these roles. It, it was, actually, I, I mean, very realize, true. I, I didn't yeah. realize actually he was this. I thought he was like 50. So he's actually 61. Yeah. Uh, um, or no, or almost 60. He's almost 60. Yeah, like, and he doesn't quite look it. I mean, he he looks like he's in late forties, early fifties. I think he looks fine, but I, I I don't know. Like, it's it's just it's hard for me to put my finger on what's happening in this movie, but it's unique and I like it. Um, so yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm starting to talk in circles. I know I am. So we should probably probably wrap this. Any other thoughts? Andy, action, adventure, music, casting. I mean, performances. What, what do like you got? I said, I. It was a lot. It's just, it's a lot of fun. It's got a lot of style for how like short and kind of small the movie is. Like I said, the action's really convincing, and it's di- like I haven't seen John Wick, but this seems to be a little bit more brutal than that, a little bit more gory and kind of visceral. Yeah, I don't know the connection. I I know in the trailers they said it was from the producers of John Wick or something. It's not. It's I looked it up. It's not set in the same universe. It does not follow the rules of John Wick. There's not like, as far as I know, some secret organization that he's a part of or anything like it's it's a bit more cut and dry than that but i mean just looking at the poster right john wick 3 had the poster with with uh uh, keanu reeves and all the guns around him this has the exact same poster but a bunch of fists and one of them's punching him in the face like it it a hundred percent has john wick energy big time uh but it's not actually a john wick movie so you know if you're john wick fan i i think i think you'll be pleased any other thoughts for recommendations i'm ready Andy, would you recommend Nobody? Absolutely. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it's humorous. It's quick. I mean, like I said, it's a tight 90. I lo- <laughs> love it. Yep. Love, love a, a tight movie 90. That just fits its its runtime really well. Um, it's got great action. Bob Odenkirk in a role that you probably haven't seen him. Uh, I don't think you've, he's ever done like an action film like this. Been an action lead. Um, good supporting cast. Shout out to the Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, so uh, I, I had a lot of fun. You, it is not streaming anywhere yet. You do have to rent it uh, for six bucks. Yeah, yeah, it is a six dollar rental. I think it's worth the price. I had a lot of fun watching this. Um, it's simple. It's got some unique choices in its editing and its direction that I think are going to make me want to see what this director is doing next. Obviously, this is their first big uh, directorial feature outside of Russia, uh, where they've done some work, and also Hardcore Henry, which. I guess was big. Hardcore Henry was kind of big, right? I feel like if you know it, when I say it, you thought it was big. And if not, then you, you have no idea what it is. But uh, ultimately, it's a fun time. Yeah, it, it, it kind of breaks the rules a little bit on how an action film should work. But in the best way, it's unique. It's engaging. I had a surprising amount of fun with nobody. I think you will, too. Do you, and that, do you know what they need? The, sorry, before you go on, <laughs> do you know what they need to do with this trope? This like the mild mannered guy who's a you know secret badass. They they what? need to do the they need to do the the female version where you you take like Helen Mirren, <laughs> it's like ex special forces. It's like so widows, she, she, she right? Start, I mean, start start breaking jaws. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah that that would be charming i'm sure i'm sure there are films out there that are like that i just can't think of them off the top of my head uh but hey speaking of movies with exciting female action protagonists guess what we're watching next week andy we are going to be watching gunpowder milkshake uh which is an action assassin john wick-esque film uh starring uh karen gillen and a host of other um big female names angela bassett lena hetty is in that movie yes carly gugino uh that's a lot of fun that's gonna be on netflix actually starting tomorrow july 14th um and then we're also um gonna be looking at space jam a new legacy uh, welcome to this jam yes which will be both in theaters and on hbo max and that'll be on at the end of the week july 16th this friday I'm going to call it, I'm going to get out in front of it, Space Jam New Legacy, and I haven't seen it. I think it might be potential for like worst film of the year. There's potential <laughs> for it to be horrendously bad. I mean, you know, it's a long, it's a long shot for sure. It could be great. Uh, who knows, right? I don't, you know, I've never seen the, the original one because I was, I was too old for it. I was too cool. I was like 14. <laughs> so it was way too cool for kids films. Um, what, so for, no, for never... Looney Tunes and Michael Jordan, the biggest <laughs> basketball star that had ever walked the planet? I mean... Yeah, especially at that time. No, I was too cool for it. Um, right. You should probably watch the original between now and then. I would encourage I thought, you. I, I probably... But then I'll have to rent it and everything. Do you but... really? It's not... Oh, it probably isn't streaming anywhere. That's how this works. If, if, yeah. if the sequel's coming out, it's never going to be streaming somewhere. Like, you got to go pay for it. That's how it always goes. Right. Well... And... Yeah, and then I just want to mention some things we have uh, coming up. Uh, July 23rd is the release of M. Night Shyamalan's Old, as well as uh, Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins. And then at the end of the month, we have Disney's Jungle Cruise, starring The Rock and Emily Blunt, and The Green Knight, which we are both looking forward to immensely. Yes, uh, very much looking forward to The Green Knight. I know this next week, like we said, we're doing Space Jam and Gunpowder Milkshake. The week after, a uh, little bit of show, we call it. Show, I just... I yeah uh, whatever yeah I'm, we're taking we're taking a break for a week because i'm going out of town so we'll talk about that next week when we get closer to it but coming back from that dude i'm i'm so ready for green night i'm i'm stoked i'm i'm mildly ready for old i watched the new trailer in front of black widow how do, how do we know how long old is that movie better be 85 minutes don't even be 90 like that it, that premise is so is short not, it, it's a thin premise it for sure it's very um, thin it's a very thin premise like unless that movie goes to some crazy places which the trailer in no way indicates will happen i i don't i don't know dude like old i'm skeptical i'm skeptical about it i guess is what i'm saying it it hasn't uh, i haven't seen a runtime release you know imdb updated their interface and i cannot find like times uh run times for any of this imdb is just always getting worse that's <laughs> that's the big secret to imdb it's like absolutely yeah anyway if you enjoyed the show today our rambling about black widow or my nonsensical explanation of what's happening in nobody our death of cinema segment maybe the news uh if you have any opinions hot takes comments things you want to share with us you can email us at mail at oscarfilmview.com you can comment on facebook where we live stream the show every single tuesday uh, including right now if you're watching live on facebook hi uh, whoever was just left never mind see ya uh if you can engage <laughs> with us do. over there we're on twitter one it probably we're on twitter we're on instagram and you can comment down there you can like what we're doing you can follow our page for more but the biggest thing you can do to help the show if you want to get involved is just subscribe subscribe to our script film reviews you get new episodes every single tuesday delivered straight to your phone you can be the first to find out what movies are worth watching what movies are worth staying home for movies are expensive podcasts are cheap subscribe to off script it's free and, uh, you know, rate a review if you have the means. If you, if you have a moment, we'd love a five-star rating from you. That, that'd mean a lot. And, uh, you know, check out our website, too, offscriptfilmreview.com, where we post interviews, episodes, clips, teasers, segments, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's Offscript, episode 148. Man, it's already behind us. Andy, uh, any, any other thoughts? No, I think just, uh, have, just have time a good time for the movies. Yeah, yeah, have a good time in the movies. That's right. Uh, from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.